Welcome to the Zion Church Podcast. We are a church that is passionate about bringing heaven to earth by following Jesus, who demonstrated perfect Christianity. We hope you are blessed by this teaching from Josh Wood. How's everyone doing? Okay. So good. How good are those testimonies? Man, you guys are amazing. So proud of you stepping out like that. And the reality is, is that if we don't step out, people are never going to know it. People are never going to, what's that old, was it New Zealand ad that would say, if you, if you never ever go, you'll never, never know or something like that. Maybe I'm sure my age. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Sue's nodding. Thanks, Sue. I've got an amen from Sue. And that's the thing. If we never go, put the go in the gospel, go is what, two-fifths two of the gospel? Think about G-O, gospel. If we never go, people are never going to know. So be encouraged, guys. Uh, and man, I, I'm encouraged as well by this testimony. Like, man, I want to get out there. Where, you know, what cafe am I going to go to this week and grow some people's legs out? I love it. Yeah, why not? Bring the kingdom. Well, it is great to be here with you guys today. And I know um, I, uh, I want to continue off kind of where I left uh, off last week. Who was here last week when I was teaching about oneness? We were reading out of John chapter 17. And if you've got your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 17. And we're just going to read a few verses. And then we're going to get straight back into uh, this kind of part two. John 17. My Bible is missing. Praise God for digital Bibles, but I like actually holding a Bible. Okay, John 17. So we're going to read, uh, we're just going to read from uh, verse 20, I think we will today, verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Uh, It says this, this is Jesus praying. Remember last week I said this is Jesus' last will and testimony. This is his last prayer, you know, that we have where he lays out the gospel uh, for his disciples and where he, we're going to pick up where Jesus is praying for us. It says here in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Come on, that's you and me. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you, have, which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Man, that's so powerful. You know, last week we... Uh, dug a little bit, d- dug into what it means to be one with God. That's just a crazy concept. It's a biblical concept. And I mentioned of the, you know, the uh, Hindu, uh, the twisted view of, of, you know, of what this is. I'm not talking about nirvana I mentioned last week, which is the belief that, you know, basically you do enough good and you're going to um, reincarnate to a point where you're, you actually become God. And that's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about... Uh, becoming one identity, but becoming one in spirit with him. And I, I won't go into it again, but last week I gave the 
analogy of a husband and wife when the Lord says the two shall become one flesh. Uh, But today, tonight, we are going to be continuing on and we're going to be looking at our oneness with each other as the body of Christ because Jesus didn't just pray that we would be one with him and the Father, but that we would be one together in him, with God, that they would be one. And so we want to look at that a little bit um, tonight. But I want to invite you right now to turn with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. We're going to read a couple of verses, and then we're going to move down to, um, to a little bit later in the chapter. Uh, but it says this, First Corinthians chapter 12, and, and starting in verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Confusing much, yeah, I know. So basically, uh, there are many members of a body, but yet they are all the body. They're all part of the body. So my right hand is just as much a part of my body as my left hand is. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, there it is again, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then Paul goes on to talk about the different parts of the body. We're not going to get into that tonight. And he says, you know, can an eye say to the foot, you know, I have no need of you because you're not an eye. And he goes on to talk about that, that God designed the members of the body to be different on purpose. And if we we're all the same, it's like, you know, who's ever realized that God loves variety? One thing that I love is nature. I love nature. I love trees. Green is my favorite color because of nature. If you were to go out into your garden in the backyard or, you know, wherever it might be, go on a, on a hike and you were to look around and every tree that you see looks exactly the same. How boring would that be? Seriously. God loves variety and he loves variety in the expressions of himself and of his body, which is us, which is the church. And, and he's saying there as well that we've, we've been made to drink of one spirit, into that one spirit. We have one Lord, one baptism. And, uh, and the reality is, is that just as much as we are one with him, we are also one with one another. Um, it kind of reminds me of an old song. I'm not going to sing it, Al, so don't worry. Uh, but it's an old song. Probably no one in this room will know it, maybe two people. Uh, I used to like listening to a little bit of Frank Sinatra, and it's a song called Love and Marriage. It was actually a TV show once upon a time, and that was the theme of the TV song. But the, 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 the words of this is love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Dad was told by mother that you can't have one without the other. They go together. You can't have one without the other. It's the same thing in the same capacity that we can't just be, yeah, it's me and Jesus and I'm one with God and that's amazing, but yet not understand that in that oneness, this is also true. We can't just lock ourselves in a room and have a nice little life with Jesus and just enjoy being loved by him without there being a reality of a love life with our brothers and sisters, with the family of God. 
uh, in fact, uh, John takes it a whole other step forward in First John where he says, if I say that I love God, who I can't see, but I don't love my brother who I can see, I'm actually a liar and the truth's not in me. John said that, not me, so take it up with him. Uh, let's just skip down to verse 25. So First Corinthians 12, verse 25 to 27. So it's talking about the different members of the body and that every member is important. Some of the members that you see, some of the members that you don't see, just like our body. We've got internal organs, we've got external parts of the body as well. You don't you might not see it all, but they're all a part of the body and they all play a part. If one of those members isn't working, then the whole body suffers. And then he, he jumps in here. We're going to jump in verse 25. He says that there should be no schism in the body. That word schism means division that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. I want to sort of break that down for a moment. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He gives kind of these two sort of different aspects here. He says if one member suffers, then all the members suffer as well. Uh, I'm sure everyone could probably put their hand up for this one, but who has ever kicked their toe like really hard? Yeah, like you're walking through the house and it's like, who put that wall there? And all of a sudden your toe's bent backwards and you're, you're, on, you're falling a heap on the ground and you're like wailing, hopefully not cussing because um, you're a new creation, remember? Uh, but, but who knows when you kick your toe, your whole body knows it, yeah? Sometimes it can make your whole leg ache and you could be laying on the, sitting on the ground going, oh, my toe. If one member suffers, there's a ripple effect on the whole body. The, the, the same is true in the spirit that when one of us as the body, as the body of Christ, when one member of this body locally and globally is suffering, then the reality is, is that the whole body is suffering too. You know, um, it amazes me. I'm going to take a little bit of a, a sidestep here because when we're talking about the body suffering and one member suffering and having the same care and honor for one another, it kind of befuddles me sometimes when there are some people, some Christians, that actually believe that God has given them a ministry to criticize the body. You know, there are whole YouTube channels devoted to refuting, debunking, criticizing, critiquing other parts of the body. You know, uh, there's a word for that in the Hebrew. It's actually called Satan. You know, the name Satan literally means accuser. And in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says that he, was the, he is the accuser of the brethren. So as a member of the body, if I am criticizing, critiquing, judging other members of the body as less than, I'm actually not partnering with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, I'm partnering with another spirit. I'm actually parting, uh, partnering with Satan. The Bible says, I think it's in, uh, where is it here? I've got it here somewhere. 
so, uh, Psalm 133, it says this, that uh, it, a lot of you would know this, talks about where the, the, uh, where the brethren, where the people of God dwell together in unity, and there God commands the blessing. God blesses unity. So if God blesses unity, guess who blesses disunity? Guess who blesses accusations? In fact, we're told not to judge anyone. If we're to judge anyone, we're to judge ourselves and ourselves alone. The accuser of the brethren. Medically speaking, I don't know, do we have any medical doctors in here today? No, she's not here today? Good, okay. So if I get something wrong, I'm not going to be in trouble. Medically speaking, when the human body attacks itself, it's actually called disease or specifically an autoimmune disease like cancer. When the body attacks itself, doctors surgically remove that stuff from the body. So what do we think God's going to do to cancer in the body? When one member of the body hurts, every member hurts. The second thing that he said here is that one, one member suffers, that every member suffers, but when one member is honored, every member is honored. What does that mean? Give you another illustration. Have, has anyone here, it's been a little while for me, back probably in school, has anyone here ever won a running race? Primary school, high school, anyone, state, yeah, there's a few people who's ever or even come a place in a race. You know, it's an amazing thing sometimes, yeah, last place. Thank you, Jesus. Didn't get that gift, Lord. You know, it's a funny thing. Sometimes you watch runners and you see them running and as they get to the finish line, sometimes they're like put their chest out or sometimes their head. Why do they do that? You know why? Because... If their chest goes over the line, if I'm racing Brit and my, I put my chest out and my chest goes over the line before her foot and when my, my foot comes after her foot, I win. That's why they do that. But this is the funny thing. A running race, my leg, your legs are doing all the work. Your legs are straining and striving and my chest, my head's not doing anything. They're just they're along for the ride. But then at the last minute, the chest goes out and the chest crosses the finish line first. When you get the medal, when you get the ribbon, you're standing up on the podium, they come and they put the, the medal on, you know, they put it over your neck, don't they? They drape it over your neck. They don't pin it to your legs. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? You stand up on the podium first place, they come and oh, stick a ribbon or something in your legs. But it'd be a strange thing if your legs are looking at your neck going, how dare you wear that thing? You did nothing. You were along for the ride. I did all the hard work. Why do you get to wear that gold ribbon, that gold medal? But here's an interesting thing. The legs carry the rest of the body over that line. So in the same way that when one member suffers, there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual dimension that actually we all suffer with it. Not just, oh, I feel sorry for them. There is a spiritual dynamic at work. 
Because we're not naturally one body, we are supernaturally one body. So there is a supernatural dimension to that. The same is true when one member has breakthrough. That's where testimonies are so powerful. Because if you hear or if you, if you see someone step into something that you're believing for, what that says is, is that it's set a precedence. And if you'll wrap faith around it, you will realize, man, if they were able to step into that healing, then I'm going to too. In fact, because they already have, that means that I have as well. The same is true with spiritual gifts. Paul says in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 14, he says, uh, earnestly desire the best gifts. You know, I remember years ago um, seeing a, a couple of different ministers moving really uh, powerfully in words of knowledge. And I remember one day just sitting there going, well, hang on a minute. I'm a part of the same body. If they're stepping into that, then that means that grace is available for me as well. And I just, by faith, wrapped faith around that and began to see God give me all sorts of different accurate words of knowledge in, in, in different times in different places. So if one member's honored, if one member steps into a room, if you open up the door and your foot steps in, what happens to the rest of your body? It follows, doesn't it? When one member is honored, all the members are honored also. Just like the example of the runner that I gave, it actually is going to take the unity of the whole body working together for the whole body to cross the line into what God has for us. We're going to have a look at that right now. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the very first verse of Acts chapter 2. So this is the moment you can turn there. We're just going to read one verse. But this is the just the preceding moments before the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples when they're in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place. That word uh, one accord in the Greek, it can be translated a couple of different ways. One of the ways it can be translated is, uh, is one mind, one accord of one mind. Another beautiful way that that word can be looked at and translated is this, and I mentioned this actually on Friday night at our prayer meeting, that it can be seen like an orchestra, a symphony of many different instruments, all different but all played together in perfect harmony, making one sound, one accord in one place. And it was in that place that the Holy Spirit came upon them. The reality is, is that unity is a big deal to God. Agreement is a big deal to God. In fact, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they are in agreement? One accord one mind in unity. The reason is, is the Trinity, the Father, the Word, the Spirit, the three are in perfect unity, perfect harmony, and perfect agreement. God is looking for the same in us, that we would be one, think of this, as he is one. Imagine if there was, imagine this for a moment, that there was such 
unity, connectivity, love, one accord, oneness with the people of God in the exact same way that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one and in that place of union, unity, and agreement. Imagine if the bride looked like that. That's what Jesus is praying in John 17, that we would be one in the same way that he is one with the Father. Psalm 133, I mentioned it before, but maybe if we could just turn there real quick. Psalm 133. So the interesting thing with this psalm is that that it's a song of ascent. It was written by David. And so the, the songs of ascent in the psalms were the songs that they would sing as they were going, they were climbing Mount Zion to go to the temple when they were ascending the mountain to go to the temple to meet with God. It says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So um, some things can be lost in translation. When I think about oil running down my hair and down my beard and all of my clothes, I'm like, dang it, I'm going to have a shower, I'm going to change my clothes. It's not a curse, it's a blessing. What does oil represent, guys, in Scripture? Anointing, the presence of the Lord, the power of the Lord. When the people of God come together in unity, there is a blessing that comes, there is an anointing that comes. It's no coincidence that we just read Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When all of them were gathered together in one accord, in one place, what came down? What was seen on them? Fire. Where did the fire rest? On their head. Like oil, precious oil upon the head. We just read it there. Oil upon the head, running down the beard, and all of you close. In other words, there is so much anointing, so much blessing, that it completely covers your life. Every part of your life, from the top of your head all the way down to the soles of your feet, even the things that you're wearing, that represents the peripheral things in life. So not just your physical body, but even your garments. So there is a blessing that comes upon the people of God when we understand our oneness with him and our oneness with one another, and we begin to live in that place, and we actually begin to love each other as if you're actually a part of my body. It would be a crazy thing if you were to come in here and see me like speaking to my foot and rebuking and saying, you are a dumb foot. Like, why did you just trip over like cursing my foot? You would come and think, Josh, you need some ministry, man. It ought to be just as strange when we see a Christian speak against another Christian, shouldn't it? Why? Same body, one Lord, one spirit, one body. Like I said before, if God blesses unity, then it's Satan 
who blessed his division. Uh, there was something else I wanted to share with you guys, but it seems to have dropped off my notes here. Let me see if it's on the phone. Oh, yes, here it is. So what I wanted to, to bring out now, now we've looked at this, is that there are two key points that we need to look at and consider when we're look, breaking down John 17 and we're understanding you know, this oneness, and it's these two things. The first point is this, is that whether we like it or not, this is a spiritual reality that we can't change. If we've been baptized into him, this is a spiritual reality that we actually have no choice in. The second thing is this, is that because this is a reality, we are therefore required by the Lord to bring our will and actions into alignment with this reality. So this reality exists outside of your will and actions, first point. But the second point is because it exists, we need to bring, we're required by the Lord to submit our will and our actions to live out this oneness. Love looks like something. If love looks like something, then oneness looks like something too, doesn't it? If we're talking about one another, talking to one another, in the way that we treat each other, the way that we interact with one another, our oneness, that reality, shouldn't just be in theory, should it? It should be in action. I want to read one last little passage, and we're probably going to finish up. Wow, early today. Someone's been interceding. Lord Jesus, help Josh make it short today. None of this two-hour-long sermon thing. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, and we're, going to, we're just going to read four verses from verse 16. You guys doing okay? 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Pause there for a moment. In other words, this is how we know two things, what love looks like, and this is how we know that God loves us. The love of God cannot be measured through your life lived, through your circumstances. You cannot afford to measure God's love through the way that other people treat you. If you do, your life is going to be like this. Not even just how others treat you, but by the circumstances of life. The way that we know what love is and the way that we know that God loves us is because he laid down his life for us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Isn't it amazing that God would have been completely within his rights to just write the human race off and start again? Think about that. Every single one of us deserved death. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to save us. But because he is good, because he is love, for God so loved the world. This is how we know that he loves us. But it doesn't just stop there. If that's as deep as the revelation goes, then it's a very shallow revelation. Let's keep reading. And we also... Who? Who's he talking about? We, the royal we. Who? All of us. And we also 
ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, it's not his love revealed to us if we only just receive it for ourselves. We've only received it skin deep. The revelation of God's love is supposed to come into us to transform us so much that we see the way that he loved and that we love one another in that exact same way. That we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Then he gets really practical. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. It's a little bit like James in the book of James, where he talks about faith without works is dead. The reality is, is that none of us can come to salvation by our own works. We can't do it. You can't be a good enough person, do enough stuff, tick enough of God's boxes to get salvation. It doesn't work that way. But who knows that once you are saved, there are works that God requires of us. In fact, Ephesians says that God has prepared them for us before the foundation of the world. There are things that we're supposed to do that's supposed to be a response from our life when we get the fullness of this revelation. Love is supposed to look like something. It's not supposed to be theory. If I say that I believe, if I put my hands on the sick, thank you, Lord. That's my little reminder. Thank you, Jesus. If I say that I believe the word where Jesus said, if I lay my hands on the sick and they'll recover. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Absolutely. Yeah, if I put my hand on the sick, they'll recover. But I never in my whole life put my hand on someone who's sick. Do I actually really believe what I'm saying I believe? I don't. Our works, the way that we conduct our life, the things that we say and the things that we do actually show what we really believe. Now, don't let that be a point of condemnation, but let it be an invitation. Don't beat yourself up and go, well, I obviously don't believe that. It is an invitation for every one of us to step into a greater reality that goes beyond skin deep, that goes beyond me. Oh, God loves me. He does love me, but he loves me so that I can love all of you the way that he loves me. He gave me this example. But it's not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I'm going to finish up there today. Wow. Oh, we. It's the only one today. Well, this is what I want to do. Uh, is we're going to have communion now. Maybe that's why I'm early, because we haven't had communion yet. 
this is what I want to do in a moment. Um, we're going to have communion. I'm going to come over here. I'm probably going to set that thing off. I'll do that. But um, I want to invite everyone to come on up in a minute and get some communion. This is, this is the thing. What does this represent? The body. Now, who, what are we called? Think about that. One body broken up into many pieces, distributed to every one of us. At the moment, it's one piece. When it goes into my mouth, what, what happens next? Do I swallow it? What do I do? I bite it. What does that represent? My sin crushed Jesus' body. Put it in, and it's my teeth that breaks this body, bites it. But then once I bite it, when I touch it, where does it go? Goes then inside, does it? You can't see it anymore. What does my body do to it? It assimilates it. This bread becomes one with my body. Think about that. So as we have communion together in a moment, I want you, before you take it, don't just take it haphazardly. This isn't just the Christian thing to do. It's like a dip and all right, I'm off you go. I want you to sit for even a couple of minutes and I really want you to think about what we've looked at these last couple of weeks. Look at the bread, look at the juice. Think about what Jesus did and what it really means for us. Think about the fact that in a moment, this bread is going to be inside your body and it's going to be assimilated and it's going to be indivisible. You won't be able to separate it from your body or the nutrients in this bread. It's going to give you life. In the same way that as we receive Christ, we've been made one with him. But not just one with him, but one with each other. So I want you to think about that today. Just think, and if there are any ways that you think that you need to repent, repentance means to change. If there are any ways that you need to repent, make things right, do things differently. Don't just love in word or in tongue anymore, but indeed and in truth. There is grace here. None of us can do it. None of us can love the way that Jesus loves apart from him. It's impossible. But what we can do is we can submit to his grace and we can allow his supernatural grace to empower us, to help us to lay down our lives for our brethren. Could we do that? So I want to invite everyone, come on up the front, grab some bread, grab some juice, and just head back to your seat. We're not going to rush out of this place. We're going to take even five minutes if we have to, once everyone's sat down, and just meditate on it. Don't just hop it in. Really meditate on the reality of this revelation before you have your communion today. You've been listening to a Zion Church podcast. 
For more information about Zion Church, go to zionchurch.info. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash zionchurchgc. And on Instagram, we're at zionchurchofficial. 